Nicole, thank you so much for uh, sharing that testimony. Amen? Amen? That was really good. She's a brave young woman, and, and uh, praise God for that. You know, when you hear someone like Nicole get up and share their testimony, you, you remember, many of us remember, well, that could be me, or that was me. Maybe some, someone's here tonight, and, you, and you're like, I want that to be me. Amen. If somehow you've come in tonight, and that's uh, where you want to be, we can get you there. Actually, more specifically, the Lord will get you there. So, hey, welcome to the Discipleship Conference, right? We're, we're winding down now. It's our last uh, couple sermons. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3, or 1 John, I'm sorry, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to bounce off of there once again. We were there yesterday. As you're turning there, I'll remind you where we've been. We've had the, uh, the pattern of the four goals of discipleship that we've been following and We've talked uh, on Sunday night about establishing our disciples in worship, which is the focus of our life. We talked about how worship is personal, how worship is directional, how it is powerful. And then last night we talked about uh, the need to establish disciples in the Word of God, which is the authority of our life. We just heard in Nicole's testimony, right? She's talking about a repentant attitude and her willingness to work with God. And, and so we saw that the Word of God is the foundation of our faith. It is the food for our soul. And it is also the focus, God willing, of our heart, right? It's what, we're, it's what our heart is given over to. And, uh, of course, we all want to hide, we should, want to hide the Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against Him. And so tonight we're going to speak about that third goal, which is being established in the local New Testament church, which is the context for our life. And uh, it's, it's what God's will is for us. It's the context. And I, uh, I like the way, and I actually I, I had it on my phone. I was going to read it. I left it on my pew, so I'm not worried about it. But Tony wrote up a good description under that goal, about, and he included many of the attributes. Hey, yeah, let me, we, can, we can be flexible here. I want to just read this to you. Uh, Tony wrote this up in the team. I shouldn't just say Tony, but uh, I got it from Tony, and I wanted to just read this. So I took a picture of it because uh, I didn't uh, have time to type it in here. But under, this, under the, uh, the literature that we have for the goals, he says the local church is where you live out God's will for your life based on the Word of God. Your identification with Christ, relationships, money, and obeying God's plan for your life will be experienced within the context of the local church. Can I throw back, that back at you or hand it to you? At Heartland, we throw things. So, I mean, it's kind of like a game. We're like, can you catch it? Oh, man, you missed it. So, anyway, kind of keeps things lively when you got a boring preacher. But anyway, um, so the foundational lessons for, uh, for discipleship uh, are really what we're talking about, these 16 lesson, lessons. And, and it is important that we are focused on this need to be in a local church and fellowship with Christians within the context of the body of Christ. So this is an important goal because most disciples... We'll check out on you around lesson eight if you have those that check out. We haven't talked a lot about checking out on discipleship. I don't want to discourage anybody. Uh, but I was thinking about that today as we were just doing through some things this morning. And by the way, if you can make those morning sessions, you ought to. They're really good. But you know, sometimes you feel like a failure, right? Because uh, you're, you're pouring your heart and your life into somebody. And then, man, it's oftentimes when the context of, of really what their life needs to be all about is, is brought to the fore Right, they intellectually, maybe emotionally, spiritually understand that uh, this was the devil's family. Now I'm in God's family. But when it comes to living that out, 
in accomplishing God's will for their life, sometimes they do check out on you. But like Nicole, sometimes they come back. Right? Amen? So God brings them back. And we had a testimony uh, the other night about that as well. So God's always working. So it could be when I used to work in a city mission in in a homeless shelter. I spent a lot of years there. And uh, I used to get discouraged, you know, because I'd be preaching oftentimes with the same faces. Sometimes there'd be no response. Uh, sometimes there would be a great response, but there'd be no fruit. And so we developed a, a process to get them discipled. And one of the things that we did was after they made a profession of faith and placed their faith in Christ, is I put them within the structure that was nearest to them, which was our local mission. But the goal was to get them to the local New Testament church, because the discipleship that they needed wasn't going to happen within the context of the local uh, mission that we had. It was good, it was helpful, it was used of God, but what they really needed was what the local New Testament church had to offer, and you'd be amazed uh, what God would do in someone's life when they made it there. But oftentimes people didn't. And so what did you do? You continued to preach, you continued to disciple with those that will, and you would be amazed too when people come back, because once you start feeding them, and they know where to go. You know, it's like those, if you got squirrels, somebody, oh, that was, uh, Gary's talking about the squirrels, right? Don't feed squirrels or pigeons, right? They're going to be back. Uh, in discipleship, feed people, they'll come back. The local New Testament church is mission critical for them to complete their discipleship process. They need to be in that environment. And so the primary reason that people leave churches in the church uh, see so much transfer growth, frankly, is because how people interact relationally is so dysfunctional in our culture. This time, more than any other time in in recent history, it is so important that we do function properly as a local New Testament church. Because the family's falling apart, the institutions that people are used to uh, and have traditionally relied in are crumbling. It's a great opportunity for those of us who are in the local church to actually behave as Christians, ought to behave and be an example and do what it is God saved us to do, right? Be who God saved us to be so we can do that which God has saved us to do so that we can actually be a place where people can come and get what they need from the Lord because everything else in their world often is falling apart. It's dysfunction. Relationally, the devil has imploded their world. My own testimony is one of distrust and dismissal of the local New Testament church itself. So, you know, what a lot of the new uh, preacher dudes are trying to do to reach all the, dis, uh, the disenfranchised folks and the young people, blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, that's nothing new. Man, I was lost. I was, I was Jimmy Swaggart and uh, that guy that was over PTL. All those dudes, they were my reason not to go to church. There were hypocrites in the 80s. Uh, and if you'd have told me when I got saved everything I was going to see in church, I would have used that as a reason not to go to church. To be frank with you. But the reality is this, God has a plan, and and I am now, I'm here tonight, I'm an advocate of the local New Testament church, because that's what God's ordered. That is God's ordained institution to carry forth this discipleship process. It is what we need to be discipled, but it's also what we need to carry forth discipleship. It's not going to happen in any other other vehicle. It's going to be delivered through the local New Testament church. And so, God, of course, you heard my testimony a little bit last night. How did he actually get me into the church? Well, that was through the gracious, loving behavior of the saints of God. And uh, I tell you what, in retrospect, it's, it's amazing how, how good God was 
And so, you know, going from, you know, my disciple Earl, and following my salvation, you know, he eventually got where I would fellowship with believers who invited me into their home, allowed me to see how they lived. That melted my hard heart. And my carnal heart, and it softened my attitude toward the local New Testament church. I began to witness to people, my own sister. I told you the story about that last night. But eventually, eventually, not immediately, like if you were here this morning, Bartell was talking, I wonder about those people who don't get, get baptized. Yeah, well, I just want you to know, I was that guy. Where's Jeff at, man? That's, that's me, bro. And you're right on the money. And it was sitting in the local New Testament church. I'm saved. I can tell people about Jesus. Why do I need to get baptized? I mean, he, even, he made my point perfectly. That was my mindset. It's just water. Why do I need to get baptized, man? I'm going to heaven. Now, I know I'm just really exposing you to how stupid and ignorant I was. But that's who I was yeah. before Christ. And even when I was a young Christian. So this is a several months into my salvation. I'm this hard-hearted and stiff neck. I'm not doing very good with authority, am I? That's really the core issue. Right? And so I'm listening to the man of God and the pulpit of God one Sunday. Praise God I was in the local church. And I heard the message of God. But I didn't just hear the message. I heard God from the Word. And he told me, Brian, what are you doing, knucklehead? Obey. Obey. And so I did. You know what happened the moment I made a decision to obey? I got up and I walked forward down the aisle. Guess what? Three people followed me. And all three of them were the three people I'd been trying to reach. My current wife, my sister, oh yeah, and Gerald, my brother-in-law. I was telling you about last night. (laughs) Hallelujah. Man, God's done a lot through the local New Testament church in my life. And... uh, Today, there's a lot of discussion about fellowship in the church. I read a book several years ago. It got me fired up. And uh, I, I, I'd like to check out the Barna's, George Barna. His organization has all these stats. I don't know about you. I like to look at that stuff. And he wrote this book called Revolution. Anybody read Revolution? Okay. A few of you. Good. Not many of you. So I'm reading this book, and I'm like, what are you talking about? The local church is going to be irrelevant in 15 years or 20 years or whatever the statistics were. I'm reading this, reading this, I'm just like going crazy. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why? I know what, George, you're looking at. I know what statistically you're looking at. But listen, we're not here to meet the needs of consumers. We're not. We're here to see people's lives transformed. This isn't going to work outside the context of the local New Testament church. And you are not going to have church on the golf course. You're not going to have church somewhere wherever you choose to have it. You're going to have it where the ordinances are being uh, obeyed, where the, 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 the elders, the deacons, are established according to the word of God, and God's good hand is upon it. That's where you're going to see the fruit. Those that do it as it's ordered, decently and in order, in the word of God. And I'm getting fired up now. I'm an advocate for the local church, man. I'm like, hey, where's George at? i got to talk to him. No, I don't know. I don't know anything about that guy or David Kinnaman or any of those guys. I do appreciate what they do, so I'm not, I'm not telling you don't look at their stuff. That particular book, though, got me fired up and got me thinking about this subject of fellowship in the context of the local New Testament church and the context of our life. And so let's start with the definition this evening of the word fellowship. The English word fellowship is found 15 times in the New Testament. 
And though it's modeled in the Gospels, it's not mentioned until Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. When the membership of the church is empowered with the Holy Ghost, and then there we find the definition. So when we define fellowship in a word, it would really be, in my estimation, communion. But it's not limited to that. And we do a disservice and rob it of its usage throughout the New Testament if that's the only way we defined it. So the two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper paint a picture for us of what fellowship is. Baptism pictures our communion with Christ and the Lord's table, which we call communion, is a picture of the common union we have with one another through the baptism of the Spirit. And so in Galatians 2.9, Paul records what Peter, James, and John perceived, the grace that Peter, James, and John perceived the grace of God that had been bestowed upon he and Barnabas, and they did this. They extended the right hands of fellowship, right? A handshake. And a handshake's a great emblem of fellowship, and it's used to this day across the world when agreements are made between men and companies and, and even countries. It's often sealed with a handshake. And it implies and communicates a common union, or what we would say is communion. The extension of the hand in the case of Paul and Barnabas also represented a blessing to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They extended the right hand of fellowship and said, go preach. Before we can be established in the fellowship of a local New Testament church, we have to be established in the fellowship of the Father. And now, I told you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at a little bit of what the Word of God says about that in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 3, I'm going to read down through verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What? Yeah. If you're having fellowship with us, you're having fellowship with the Father and the Son. What? Yeah, that's what it said. Verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne today, this evening. Oh, we're rejoicing in this great praise service that we've just participated in before your throne. We're rejoicing in the testimony that we have just heard. We're rejoicing in the word of God that tells us that we can have fellowship with you and with one another and our joy can be full. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we leave here today not just knowing that the local church is the context to live out our Christian life, but it is also, Lord, a joyous, Lord, it's a joyous unity that will only increase as we get ready to go to heaven. Lord, may that reality from above infuse us beneath as we're in these carcasses, Lord, as we're in this assembly, as we're in this church. Lord, may, it, Lord, may your word speak to us tonight in a special way that unifies us in these goals and our endeavor to disciple souls and accomplish your mission. May you be glorified today and every day of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I, I chose this passage to start because it is the last mention in the Bible 
uh, of the word fellowship. So just as we teach the principles of first mention, if, you, if you're hanging around our ilk, right, we're going to teach you certain principles of Bible study. Uh, this is in addition to discipleship, or as you're going through discipleship, you're probably going to pick up on these things. But th- the last mention is also as important as the first mention. And so the last mention is right here of the word fellowship in the New Testament. So it's important to allow the Bible to define itself. So the principle of last mention is important. So the last mention completes the definition and allows you the ability to see the summation of the key word or phrase in the Scripture. And this is where we want to end. This is where we want to end. We want to end walking in the light of the Father. And what Adam lost is now restored in the relationship that we have with Christ. Right, That first Adam, he he lost that, that image, right, that glory. But when we get saved... Christ, the image of God, is literally in us, and we are now light-bearing creatures. Spiritually, that is. We're sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see Him, we're going to be like Him. I mean, we're lit up, aren't we? Amen. Amen, Brian. I'm lit up. No, man, I'm telling you, we got to be. And our fellowship in the context of the local church is what's going to facilitate that. And so, God gives us so much to consider about plugging into the fellowship of the local New Testament church, just in the passage I've read this evening. So, this is, I'm going to give you some practical points tonight. This is going to be practical, I hope. So, establishing disciples in the local church. We need to do this, why? Well, here it comes. Because spiritual family is a priority. The need of humans to belong to a family unit is the way God made us. Today, all over America... And the world, young men and women are lured into all kinds of darkness and illicit relationships with the powers of darkness because of the absence or uh, the dysfunction of the family unit. The devil's having a great time redefining this and redefining that and so on and so forth. You guys know all about that. Young men, uh, well, they're going to take a beating of so-called brothers and go out and, and kill an innocent person just to get the approval of their surrogate families. Happens all over Atlanta. There's young men, and that's what's even sicker, man. It's not even young men. There's young girls going out and taking a beating from this surrogate family. They don't, they don't have a foster family. They don't have a real family. So they just go out to find a gang family, and they beat the snot out of them. can't even say what I want to say, man. It's, and, and, and that is love. It's all messed up. Boys and girls alike will give up their virtue in exchange for the solace of knowing they belong to a unit that they think loves and cares for them. And the devil knows this. He exploits it. But God created us and he draws us as Christians into fellowship with the Father and with his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of the Almighty God. And if you, I don't think we got any gangbangers in the house, but if you were happen to be a gangbanger in the house tonight, I'm telling you, I got a better, I got a better gang for you. And you think it ain't challenging? Just hang with us. Get on our posse. We'll take you around the world. You want to see danger? We'll get you into some danger. Right? So, ride with Jesus. And so the father figure you've always been looking for, where's he going to be found? Well, we've already read it. He's going to be found among the fellowship of believers. 
Did you hear my testimony? Do you know the man that led me to Christ was just about old enough to be my daddy? You know the man that discipled me? Just about old enough to be my daddy. Do you know the mentor that I had at work? Who was the friend of the guy that discipled me, who happens to be Jeff Newton's dad? Old enough almost to be my... Maybe No, he is old enough to be my daddy. God put father figures in my life that represented the father in my life. And I mean no disrespect to my father. I love my father. But he couldn't bring the goods that I needed to be the man of God that God wanted me to be. The, the, the family of God functions around the father. And, I, and the father is such an important figure. And he's an important person. This isn't just some, some image. God brings that image forth through the body of Christ. So even as a young Christian, even when you don't even know what you're looking for, God says, here it is, son. This is what you're looking for. You're looking for faithful men because you want to be a man, not a boy. And the young ladies, I'm sorry I'm talking to men, but I can't help it. Because I'm telling you, ladies, you want as many men, men, that you can find. You don't need any man boys. So the Father's present when we gather. Now look at Matthew 18. I've got to get moving here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. I can tell it's like Tuesday night. Everybody's like, batteries winding down. All right, Matthew 18. Let's look at verse 20. Let's get into this bad boy. All right, it says here, verse 20. For where, you know this verse, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Woohoo, Jesus. And then all of us say, well, that's uh, dispensationally before Jesus died and resurrected. I know that. But just, just hang with me for a moment. All right? We're getting, we're getting somewhere. I know where that's at. The Son is in the midst of our fellowship, though. Now, go to John chapter 20. So if you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go over to, go over to John chapter 20. I'm going to actually make you look at some Scripture for just a few minutes here. It's early in the message, so you can do it. Uh, okay, John chapter 20 and verse 19. You know the story, right? So we're in the upper room. I mentioned Thomas yesterday. What happens in the upper room in, in, in uh, John chapter 20 and verse 19? This is before Thomas shows up. Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. You see, where the assembly was, the ecclesia, where they came together, guess who was there? Jesus. He's just like, whoop, here I am. I mean, he's, he's hanging with the, with, the, with the saints in the upper room. And then look in Revelation chapter... Well, I don't have time. Really. Well, go ahead and turn to Revelation. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1. And <clears throat> again, this may be reviewed for many of us, but I think it's worth noting the same word is used here. Revelation chapter 1. And... Down here in verse 13, John turns to see the voice that spake with him, and when he turns, he saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst, in the middle, right, of the seven 
candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and, the, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. So, so who's in the midst of those? What are those seven candlesticks, by the way? That's right, seven churches. And how do we know that? Well, again, the Bible defines itself. You just go down the last couple of verses, and boom, there it is. Seven candlesticks are the seven churches, historically of Asia Minor. But we also know, historically, Jesus Christ is in the midst of his assembly, his called-out assembly. So Jesus is in the house. Okay, we get that. You're like, oh, Brian, I know that. Well, the Spirit is an also, and you're waiting for this, right? Because this is what I always, well, Colossians chapter 1, because this, this is the mic drop, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory, I should, I'll give you a second to get there. Pause, pause, pause. Colossians 1, 27. Okay, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the, the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, what is that? Which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we know, right, when you get saved, the moment you trust Christ as Savior, literally the Spirit of God, He, he, he enters you, right? He, he seals your soul to the day of redemption, spiritual circumcision, all that takes place. Amen. So you don't have to be in the midst of two or three people to know God's with you, right? Paul said, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. Amen. That's a great assurance. And we've got to live with that because there's times when you feel like you're alone, but you're not alone because Christ is always with you. Yeah, right. Now, having said that, He's also with us. Right. When we get together and we're doing God's will, beloved, listen, there is a common union, a communion, and that communion is around Christ because Christ is in us. Yeah. And the, we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with the Father. Yeah, and what can't just be communicated verbally, man? Some of this stuff isn't just taught. It is caught. And I know that for a truth, man. I heard someone giving a testimony. I, want to, I don't want to mention names because they're in the house. And they're like, man, that is one of the most godly men I know. And it's not by what he says. It's by what he does. And I'm like, whew. That is convicting because us preachers, we're blowhards. We just like to talk, man. We can talk a big talk, but can we walk a, a God walk? That's where it's at. So Jesus is, check this out, go over to John chapter 10. I'm going to, I'll get to moving along with all this flipping here in a minute. But John chapter 10 in verse 30, I want you to see this. Because we don't want to leave this out. Jesus, the good shepherd, man, he's, he's laying out some stuff and he, he, and he makes this statement which is huge, especially for our JW friends. Uh, John 10.30 says, I and my Father are one. Man, you are in communion with God. Guys, that's, that, we could stop right there and just like our minds could just go for about eternity. And that's a lot to think about. But good fellowship with brothers will always start by acknowledging the role of the Heavenly Father and His Son. If you find folks that say that they're in the light, but they have the shades pulled and the lights off, right? They say they worship the Father while I'm on the golf course or while I'm doing it the way I say I want to do it. But they're not really wanting to fellowship with believers because, well, you know, the church let me down. The church let me down. Did Jesus let you down? 
Does God let you down? Saints are saints. Our, our church in particular, man, we, met, we have a lot of recovery ministry going on. If you want to find a church with problems, come visit Heartland. We're full of people that, that are sick. We're a hospital to help sick people. That's what we do. If you want to find hypocrites, come to our house, man. You're going to find them. And hope, praise God, I hope they, obviously, we're there to see lives change. I like what Steve Fleshman, our, our uh, life issues pastor, says. He, God loves you so much. Uh, oh, now I forgot what he says. So. <laughs> Something about God loves you so much he can't stand to leave you there. How's, somebody help me. That's it. He loves you like you are, but he, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Now you know how feeble my mind is. <laughs> that should have come easy, brother. I don't know what's wrong with me. Thank you, Joe. That's why, that's why I brought him tonight. <laughs> I need you, Lord. I need you. Every hour I need you. Okay. So this is what we learn, really. Not, not everybody that says they walk in the light is in fellowship with the Father. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. I'm just put that on the burner for a minute, put that on the simmer. We'll get back to that. So the fullness of joy that you and I have been looking for is found in fellowship with the, the Word. Back in the text in which I started, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he says, And these things, remember last night, write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Because in the house of the Lord, in, the, in a local New Testament church that is biblical, biblical, guess what's going to be open? The Bible. We're not going to sit around and go, well, is this the Bible? What does the Bible say? No, listen, this is the Word of God. It's been written to us. Why? That our joy may be full. Oh, oh, right. I, what? You mean to tell me the Bible's going to meet some of my emotional need too? <laughs> yes. You mean even preaching the Word of God that's been written to us can give me joy, 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 joy down in my heart? Absolutely. And America is sick right now. Because we believe a lie that how we feel dictates who we are. That's baloney. Have you been to a third world country somewhere? Have you hung out with saints that are persecuted? Are you telling me your circumstances throw you so far off base that you can't have joy with the Lord? Man, I tell you what, I get convicted when I hang around people like that. I'm just like, man, Lord, help me not believe the lie. Help me be like those saints that are rich in those poor countries that they don't have two nickels to rub together. Why is that? Well, because, listen, man, they figured this thing out. The things that are written are precious. The called-out assembly, the local church, when they come together, man, it's about meeting with God. When they go down to the river to get baptized, man, they're, they're, they're taking their life in their hands. And man, I tell you what, it's just a whole other ball game. Because the local church, the Word of God's precious in fellowship, one with another, with the Father and the Son, is precious. The fulfillment of joy that you have been looking for is found in the fellowship of the Word, and you get it within the context of the assembly of the local church, because Jesus is in our midst and He has given us the written Word. The illumination of your path in the dark world is found when you fellowship with the family of God. Look at verse 5 of 1 John uh, chapter 1. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. There ain't any darkness at all. That's how you say it down here. At all. 
I don't know if you say it like that. I'm just making fun. Come up to, I tell you what, you'll make fun of how people talk. You need to come up to where we live. I mean, you, you have a heyday, especially out near Jeff City. The horses and the flowers. I'm like, my own relatives. I'm like, what'd you say? It has nothing to do with the message. Um, but the Bible does tell us in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. This then is the message, man. We've, we've heard it and we declare it unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we're liars and do not the truth. You know where you get that kind of preaching? At the local New Testament church. But you also get those type of examples. I think I just... Nicole, right? Nicole just told us that. She sat with a godly woman who was lit up. Holy is what she described it as. And it challenged her to be Holy. Well, isn't that interesting? Because the Bible says, be ye holy as I'm holy. Where did her disciple get that? From the Word of God. And I would lay odds from the assembly, the context of her life. She didn't just roll up out of the, the, the uh, local um, you know, truck stops one day. I'm holy. I'm John the Baptist, man. No, I mean, no, it doesn't work like that. God has ordained the local New Testament church. Three things, right, that He's given us. The Word, the Spirit, and the local New Testament church. He's replaced himself with his ascension. Those are the things that he's left us until he returns. So notice in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6, it doesn't concern itself with what you know. It's focused on what you do with what you know. If we say, you can say whatever you want, that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He doesn't care what you say. He cares what we do. You may have been born again yesterday, but you can walk in the light today. If you simply walk out the light that God has given you, that you've learned. So take the next step in your walk. When you fall, this is what you do. You get back up again. You just get back up because you can. But I know you sometimes don't feel like you can, so brothers and sisters, listen, brothers and sisters, when a young Christian falls, you've got to help them back up. If your baby's toddling across the floor and falls down, are you going to leave them there? No, not till you know they're strong enough to pull themselves back up. That implies there must be some care given in observing that progress, right? That we watch them grow. We help them along so that they begin, begin to walk on their own. But when they fall, we help them up. Sometimes you fall, once you, this is what happens. I was telling you about you know, I'm nine months old. I think I can run with the, you know, uh, fastest sprinters in the world. So I go off and get in a, in a real battle somewhere. I come back with my knees all skin up. Ah! You know, I'm hurting. And man, I tell you what, you notice where I went back to? The context of my life in Christ. I went back home. You get punched in the mouth, you know, little Jim Earring beats you up down the street. Where are you going to go? You got to go home. Man, mom, mm, my tooth is missing. No, I got to, I remember I come home one time, I got this blood, got this cut right on top of my head. I come in the house and my mom was upstairs. I just walked in the door and I said, mom, and she knew by the crack in my voice, something's wrong. Blood, I look like Carrie, man, blood just running down my face. <laughs> gotcha. And it's just this little bitty crack, you know, she's like... Freaking out, and then she finds this little, uh, this little cut. 
I scraped my head. It's a long story, but, you know, <laughs> again, it has nothing to do with the message, but... It really does, though. When you, when you get hurt, you come home. When you get hurt, you come home. You may know all kinds of truth, but when we don't walk it, the light goes and grows dim. Uh-oh. Remember Eli in the Old Testament? You know, he knew a lot of stuff. But he didn't do much, did he? He just got fat, fell back, broke his neck. God certainly, man, God grant, he's given us more knowledge than Eli. May he give us the wisdom to go with it. Will we act on what he's taught us? If we cannot trust, if he can't trust us with lease, obviously he's not going to give us more. I want someone to disciple, pastor. Well, can God trust you with someone to disciple? How about winning someone to Christ? How about praying about being a light to the disciples that are in your midst, whether you get assigned one or not? Because you're doing some discipleship even when you don't have the books open. But if we're living in hypocrisy, we, oh, we want to be a discipleship church. Well, hey, if you just got saved and you're a baby in Christ, you get all kinds of grace. But listen, if you know better, stop it. Stop it. Grow up. Why? Because there's babies in the house. Pastor Joe, your pastor, whoever your pastor is, he doesn't have time to babysit you. You're supposed to know better, for goodness sake. We need you to turn your light on, for goodness sake, and be an example to the babies in the house. Because these babies need some help, man. Grow up and realize it is not about you. Oh, wait, that pastor, you know, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I mean, Joe had those references last week. But hey, listen, this is what I'll tell you. When it's your turn to come up and be the pastor, then you can do it different. But listen, I'm telling you. Hey, now, this is the bad thing about having a guy like me in a pulpit. Because, listen, before I was a pastor, I was one of y'all. I came up through those ranks. I know what goes on. Yeah, I know, yeah. You're like, uh-oh, put some clothes on. That's right. That's right. This is what we need to do. We need to turn the light on is what we need. And we do that through fellowshipping with the Father, His Son, and the believers. Not being hypocrites, but being concerned about God's will. Not just for our life, but for the lives of those babies in the house. We want to see them grow up. So it's no accident that the disciples of Jesus functioned as a family unit. Some were related biologically, right? We know that. Some were, were not. But they, they, they were this diverse group. In a family like the church, there's a diverse group of members who fellowship with one mind and one accord around the will of the Father. That's what we do. Jesus Christ's role was not only in instructing them in the relationship with the Father that was desirable, right? But, but also to demonstrate the power of the father-son relationship. And we're still grooving on that today. I know I am. I love the book of John. When Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying for me. Don't you get fired up? I'm praying for them. That will, hey, that's me. He was 
Oh, man, he's praying to the Father for me. He's interceding for me. Yeah. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, he's praying for me. Oh, man, I tell you what, guys. You get fired up when you see the father-son relationship. And whether you know it or not, in your soul, in your heart, you're designed to want to desire that. And so the context, we talk about the context of the local church. Beloved, we're talking about the, the context of what the family unit's like. And this is the place where it ought to be modeled. It don't matter what your last name is. It don't matter what your skin color is. It don't matter what your, what your ethnicity is. Once you're in Christ, you're in the family. I don't care what language you speak or you don't speak. The reality is, man, we're in this family together. And you know it is true. It is true. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. I'm telling you, when I was coming up, I can't name names, but woo! God worked me over on this business. I was like, because I was super judgmental. I told you my testimony. Coming up, I was a pretty cynical dude. You know, and so I, this big, bold book guy, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what a loud mouth. <laughs> Get away from that obnoxious jerk. Those obnoxious jerks end up becoming my best friends. I got to tell you a true story. I don't have time for it, but I got to tell you. <laughs> so we're going to Romania. We're taking trips to Romania. It's about the same time that God called Jeff, Pastor Jeff, over to Albania. And so, I can't remember, how many hundreds of people did we take to Romania? Oh, over 100, yeah. So our whole church is mobilized. We are teaching the philosophy of discipleship in mass. And so, <laughs> you know, you would know. The group I'm in to get ready to go to Romania, they put this obnoxious character in my group. Old cocaine addict guy, just loud. You know, just that whole, hey man, what's going on? I'm just, oh. <laughs> Have some cool, dude, man. Come on. Puts me in the, puts us together in this group. We got to train together. I'm such a carnal idiot. So I'm just, you know, because I'm all that in a bag of chips, you know. You can tell how, you can tell how smart I am. What do you say? So, um, so we're, get, we're telling our testimonies and what have you in this group. And this guy says, oh, Brian, it's so awesome to be in your group. He goes, you know, so-and-so discipled me. I'm your son in the Lord, your grandson in the Lord. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is a true story. Oh my God, I can't choose my family. <laughs> that guy got me connected to City Union Mission, changed my life. Neither one of us had enough money to go to Romania. I sent a disciple, I was a disciple, another guy at that time, I sent him to Romania. He's, in, he's still there today. But um, this guy, hey Brian, we become friends. We didn't have any money. We go out. And we just pray outside the sanctuary. We're like, we don't have enough money to go ourselves fully. So we pray, God, just take us, use us to preach the gospel. You know, even though I was working through this discipleship thing and discipling people, by the way, I still didn't fully grasp it. It took me several years. And actually working in ministry before I fully, fully kind of got a hold of what this is all about. So it's okay. 
I'm like, just take me somewhere and let me preach the gospel. Because I want to be like Billy Graham. <laughs> and if it's at the grocery store parking lot, that's good. <laughs> I was serious. That's how I was thinking. And so was he, because he was a good man. He is a good man. He gets me connected to the ministry that's going to rock my world for about 15 years, 12 years. Where I could preach freely without a lot of oversight and make all kinds of mistakes that I still struggle with today. And man, I tell you what, that's supposed to be funny. But anyway, <laughs> that was who's in the family. It's a brotherhood, it's a sisterhood, it's a family. And God said, Brian, grow up. Same Jesus that's in you is in that dude. And, and guess what? Guess who called that one wrong? And can, I wish I could tell you that was the only way, one like that. But as I'm talking to you, I've got two others in mind. Just, not just like it, but similar. People to this day that I love dearly. So God had to teach me, Brian, quit being so stinking judgmental. Get over yourself and realize that not everybody needs to be you. And I use all kinds of different folks to do all kinds of different things. And it's all within the context of the local New Testament church. That's how I change your life. By rubbing up against iron, sharpening iron. Right? That's how it works. We function as a family unit. When you gather for fellowship of believers formally and informally, the primary purpose of your relationship is to do the will of the Father in the role of a son. Your instruction manual is the Word of God, and the example is the Son of God. So the next point, there is a cleansing effect when we walk in the light together. And you know that, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But when we walk in the light as He... Notice it doesn't say when I walk in the light. But when who? If we... If, by the way, we... It's a decision. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Why? Because singularly, we're going to be like Christ. And all the other stuff that keeps us apart is going to become minimized, while the main thing that brings us together is maximized, and that is He, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have fellowship, fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for overlooking my idiot attitude toward my own brothers. You know, if my God was a, was a, a just God, he'd have just shot me in the head and took me home. But he's a good God. He's a good, no, he's a good father. Instead, he taught me some things. There's a cleansing effect when we walk in the light. So last, <laughs> when we come together around the Lord's Supper, last time we came together as a church, man, I told our church, I'm like, man, if there's anything in your life, we got to get it right. I put that, I put that out every time we do the Lord's Supper, as often as you do it. But you know the truth of the matter is, and I know it's true, because I see it, oftentimes people don't take that seriously. And when you, try, when you put the, yourself ahead of the local church, the body, do you think you're helping yourself? You're not helping yourself because you're not helping others. I'm just telling you, you've got to take that stuff seriously, because we're here to have some common union, some communion. All right, I better get going or we're going to get ourselves in some trouble. All right, so we need to establish the disciples in the local church because every child, man, they must prioritize the family. And it's in gathering we remember that we're cleansed and we walk away in the light so that others can be drawn into the light and have fellowship with the Father. That should be upon our hearts. Secondly, the big second point, because every child of God 
has a powerful function in the body, right? There's a purpose for you in the body of Christ. The New Testament has much to say about fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us that we're called into fellowship of His dear Son. 2 Corinthians 8.4 speaks to the need of the church to join the fellowship of relieving the persecuted saints in Jerusalem. Galatians 2.9 recounts how Peter, James, and John extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas and encouraged them to preach among the Gentiles. Philippians 1.5 is an introduction to commending um, the Philippians for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 2.1 speaks to how fellowship in the Spirit is fulfilled when we're like-minded concerning God's Word. Philippians 3.10 speaks to the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. God has a lot of instructions in the church concerning the scope of our fellowship, but when we look at the first mention of the Word in the New Testament, oh, there's a lot that we can learn there as well, especially at a discipleship conference. Because I'm telling you this, fellowship adds to the body of Christ. First mention, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. And you're like, oh, that's familiar, especially in discipleship context. So let's look at that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. You see, when you're first saved, you're often wondering, where do I fit in? I personally, when I first got saved, guys, I, I, was, I didn't even understand the church. I didn't get it, but I loved it. It's kind of like a, a love scare thing. You're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know all the rules, but... There's something about these folks. When you go to their house, it just starts there and they're throwing M&Ms out. I love M&Ms, man. They're baiting me like a mouse, man. <laughs> Get the word of, And I love the Word of God. It's like, what's just sweeter, the M&Ms or the truth? Man, I love the truth. Love the M&Ms. It's all good. There's some sweetness that goes on there in those relationships. And Man, people need to know that they fit in, that they're loved in a personal way through the fellowship of believers. And I had no clue about church or my role in the church structure, but a baby Christian simply needs to know they belong to someone and that someone cares about them. And I tell you what, that someone is Jesus. And you're his hand. You're his extension to those someones. You know how it is. You go to, how is it when you go to school, right? You start a new, a new job. You come to a conference that you don't know everybody. You're a little bit like, ooh, you know, what am I to expect? What club am I supposed to be in? That didn't happen with adults, no. That only happens with the kiddos. And so, right, you need, you need someone to extend some, some hospitality. The first timers are going to wonder, where do they fit in? So you notice that this is not just an emotional connection. It's based on a glad reception of what? The Word of God. They gladly received His word. What our association, our loose association is called as a living faith fellowship. What do we base that upon? Uh, the word of God and then what we do with it. Missions. Right? It's the word of God and missions in essence. It's what the Bible says and what we're doing with it. Accomplishing God's mission. Which happens to be make disciples. We gladly receive that. 
So the basis of fellowship is not emotional, it's spiritual, through the working power of the Word of God. So what we agree upon is not what we feel, but what is, and I want to say this carefully, true. It's not what we feel about what is true, it is what is true. And that dictates how we feel. We agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that's what birds our fellowship. The common union among believers is our faith in the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that goes well beyond feeling to the facts of Scripture. So it is the fellowship with the Lord and His members that reinforces our steadfast faith, Acts 2.42. And it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and breaking of bread, and prayer. So let's take a moment here to examine those things and see if they exist in our life. If you were wondering, how should I function? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. It's, it's not in the role you fill, per se. It's in the role you fill in relationship to the Word of God in the context of the local New Testament church. So continue. Are you continuing steadfastly? Are you committed to the biblical understanding of the Word of God, in this case, in the text, the Apostles' Doctrine. If you're not, that's where you need to go. You need to get committed to understanding the Word of God. That's why we offer discipleship, because we're supposed to help you with that. We're supposed to offer you that, so you can go from crawling to walking. So that's where we got to start. Are you continuing steadfastly? Steadfastly. Steadfastly. That doesn't mean just kind of, well, when I feel like it. When something better comes along, I'll take it. Uh, if, well, hey, you're going to disqualify yourself from discipleship real quick if that's how you roll. Today, that would be the study and understanding of the New Testament along with the whole of Scripture. So you can be in church and do a lot of things, um, but as, we, as we've seen last night, right, there's a lot of things to do. But if the Word of God is not your priority, you're missing the mark. Notice they continued steadfastly. This means they didn't ever flow, right? They were consistent and persistent and sought teaching the Scripture, the, the, the Bible was not an option. It was the main course. And fellowship. Birds of a feather do flock together. If you want to know what kind of child you have, take a look at their friends. If you want to know what kind of Christian you are, same holds true for you as well. Breaking of bread. We know how to do this, right? Because we're Baptists. Oh, I'm not, Okay. So, or the Lord's Supper, right? But you know what? We've got to be careful not to exclude Jesus. I mean, we can have a lot of dinners, but there's a lot of times Jesus ain't invited. I've been to those too. You're having the pastor for dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Some equate this to the observation of the Lord's Supper, which does apply, but obviously in the context of fellowship, house to house and around Jerusalem, they were sharing life. And that's clear to see because in Acts 2.46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So here we go. The family of God the func- functions around a table. And Jesus spent a lot of time eating with his disciples. And when he wanted to teach them something, it was often uh, not always associated, but often with a meal or an activity. In a practical sense, many of the things we, that we do in the body of Christ happen around meals. And in a spiritual sense, the Word of God should be the centerpiece of the conversation when we're making disciples. It's at the table with the loaves and the fish and the sop that we learn some of the Father's greatest lessons. And practically speaking, as families, do everything you can. I'm just talking about practically. Do everything you can to have a family table. It's a war in my house to get that. You get soccer practice and ministry going on, it's a war. But man, if you can get it, get it. It's hard, but you need to do that because it's a good reflection of what the Father did 
in his discipleship process with the son and his disciples. So when you can model this in your home, make it a priority. That's extra. And then the last thing there's in prayers. Communing in prayers is mission critical. The best way to learn to pray is simply to do it. The disciples said in Luke 11, 1, and it came to pass that as they were praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, whew, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. What are you doing practically to learn to pray? I remember, I, I remember like when I came to a service like this, I didn't know how to praise. I would like, be like, what do I do? Ah, you know, and then um, over time you just loosen up and you let go. You just let it go. How many remember what it was like? Maybe some of you never had this experience. How many had that experience first time you went to church and you're like singing out loud? Amen. Yeah, there's some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like these guys are freaks, man. I just want you to know when you get your first time guests coming in there, just know that when you're standing there singing out loud, they're going, "What's up?" Anyway, I was. Amen. And uh, don't stop praising. Because it does something to you. Just praising God freaks you out in a good way. Okay? It, it makes you go, whoa, what is this about? It causes you to consider. There's something to praise. Okay, I'll, let me see how this goes. It's awesome. You experience it. Prayer's similar, though. Um, uh, thank you, Jesus. You know? How do most people learn to pray? It's more caught than taught. Right? It's through the fellowship of believers. You know, my kids, they don't even have to be saved. They can pray. Why? Because they sit around with dad and mom in a Christian home around the table. Right? So I got the other concern now. I'm like, okay, it's not just enough to know how to pray. Now we've got to make sure you're really talking to the Father. <laughs> and there's a whole other issue there. I'll, you guys will have to teach me about that. But anyway, at our church every Sunday night, we have a prayer meeting. And it's intended to be a prayer meeting. The saints like to make it a, another meal, right? We love to eat. But it's always on my heart to get to the throne. Because really, we only have one service a week. We, we mention a prayer list on Wednesday, but we mainly get the meat out on Wednesday, too. It's a meal. But when we come to Sunday night, I want us pr actually praying together. And that's why it's the biggest attendance service we have. Not That's the hard work. So the text goes on to speak of signs and communal living in the church in Jerusalem as they waited the return of the Messiah. But addition occurs when we fellowship together and we see many souls come to Christ through the work of the Spirit as people discover the functional relationship which Christ ushered them into through a functional relationship with the community of Christ and the followers who were purified by the blood of the Lamb. Just being saved and being together Man, it, it, makes, it makes evangelism happen. You just want to be part of that thing. And, uh, and people know that, right? Even the nickel and nose people kind of get, get in on that. They're, they're figuring that out. But, but we got to go beyond that because we're discipleship makers. So discipleship multiplies the members of the body. It's not enough to stop with that. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, many of you know the text, but I just want to touch on it because we're here to talk about this. And in those days when the number of the disciples was, now it was multiplied, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Go down to verse 7. And the word of God increased, because the word of God was on the table, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. 
So biblical fellowship grows into functional discipleship if we continue steadfast in the Word of God. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. You see, mission drives us to ministry, and ministry grows us in maturity. Let me say that twice in case you missed it. Alan would say, I'll be kind and rewind, right? Mission drives us to ministry, and ministry grows us in maturity. So before we learn multiplication, what do we learn in school? You got that right, addition. We learn addition. Right? Me and, me and my, I don't want to say his name because I love him too much, but me and my friend, we're praying. What were we praying about? Oh, God, take us somewhere to preach the gospel. We want to add to your kingdom. Why? Because we were learning about fellowship. But tally-ho, once ministry was underway and maturity was going on, God showed me, Brian, it's not just about addition. It's about these guys following you. It's about multiplication. What are you going to do with Randy Foster? What are you going to do with Mark Heckman? What are you going to do with all the guys that used to come, Tom Herzog, all these guys that, that we scheduled to preach together? We're going to do some multiplying. Because ministry is not just about the people you're trying to reach out there. It's about multiplying the people that are disciples along with you. But that's a whole other message. I'm kind of getting off. So before we learn multiplication, we've got to learn addition. So how can you raise a baby if you're not trusting the Lord to make one? You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, I just want to play house. That's what we call it. We're playing. But you've got to be about making babies if you want to raise them. So we always say good discipleship makes good, uh, good evangelism. Well, if you don't have enough good discipleship going on, maybe you need to get busy about some good evangelism. Yeah. Just get the mission going. You know what will happen? The mission will drive you to ministry, and the ministry will grow you in maturity. So evangelism is the fruit of discipleship. Good discipleship should, re should be revealed in good evangelism, but conversely, the solution to the carnality that resides among young Christians is discipleship. Functionally, <clears throat> um, functionally it, doesn't, it doesn't happen just because we're saved. We must be intentional to be dis uh, disciplined in the teaching and admonition of the Scripture. It just doesn't happen. You have to, if you're a young person in here, maybe a young 60-year-old or whatever, and you haven't submitted yourself intentionally to be discipled, you need to do that. And if you sit around and wonder, why don't I have any fruit in my life? It's because you need to get there and get at the table and get in the Word of God. And before long, you won't just be adding people. You'll be multiplying people. Because you're going to grow so rich in Christ that you're going to have enough food, not just to feed the gospel, but enough food that will come off of your plate to mature other people who will follow you in ministry. Oh, it's healthy for the church. The whole context of your life. And the practical power of fellowship of believers, man, is incredible. I'm almost done, so hang tight. Our fellowship should be inclusive, not exclusive. Paul wrote to, the, to Philemon to encourage him to include Onesimus as a brother not to exclude him because he was a runaway slave. And it's incumbent on those of us who are mature to make folks feel welcome and wanted in the fellowship of believers. So you're not alone, right? Don't exclude yourself from fellowship. Those of you that want to be alone, uh, loners, there are times when, when following Jesus is as exclusive as, as, as you can believe as an individual. But the decision to trust Christ to save you is a decision only you can make. The decision to follow the Lord and believers' baptism is a decision that only you can make. Passing through death's door is something that occurs only between you and the Lord. So there's a lot of exclusivity in our relationship with the Lord. But the majority of our walk with Christ is conditional upon our relationship with others in the body of Christ. 
This is, the, is important because God has created us for companionship. Elijah faced off with the evils of Jezebel, and even after a great victory, felt as if he were all alone and isolated. He was depressed and needed, a compa- and needed companionship. And after God pulled him out of all of that and blessed him with it, he blessed him, he blessed him with a disciple named Elisha, who shadowed his every, his every aspect of ministry until he was caught up with the Lord in the air. God had more work for Elijah to do, and it was a ministry of discipleship with his disciple Elisha. In addition to spending time as a unit, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to minister to the Jews in Mark 6-7. Paul not only had Timothy, Titus, and Silas, he had refreshing and powerful fellowship with Aquila and Priscilla. You see, David had Jonathan and Moses, had Joshua, and it's fellowship in the ministry that often encouraged us to stay faithful to the mission. So on a macro level, that's, that's what's so encouraging about our relationship with the Living Faith Fellowship and, and other like-minded churches. It is good to know that there are others out there who hold a faith-based view of Scripture and to dispensationally rightly divide the Word of God and stay true to the mission of making disciples and reproducing faithful men in ministry all across this country and the world. Man, that is awesome. Is There's a fellowship that happens. It's just, it's good. God doesn't call us to isolation. Romans 10, 14, How shall they call on Him whom they have not heard? How shall they preach except they be sent? The nature of the mission calls us to reach out to make new disciples because God wants to draw others into fellowship. There are times when disappointment and disillusionment will draw a believer to isolation, just as it did with Elijah. And many other leaders, like even Peter and Thomas, disappointed and disillusioned. But you know who never left them? Jesus. Never left them. In both cases, Peter and Thomas both needed to have a meeting with Jesus. It could be this evening that you're isolated and you feel all alone. Even as you sit among a group of people who love you and care for you. It's great that you desire to join the group, but God wants to take it further and know you in a very personal way. And lastly, and i got to be done. Because every, we need to do this. We need to establish disciples in the local church because every child of God needs protection from the powers of darkness. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The discussion of Ephesians 5 is, is very similar to the nature of what we found in 1 John chapter 1. Paul is concerned with the Ephesians walking in the light. Their walk in the light and cutting off fellowship from the unfruitful workers of darkness. In the Old Testament, the only two mentions of the word fellowship have to do with God's desire to protect his people from those who would abuse the privilege of fellowship. The first mentions in Leviticus 6.2, and I don't have time to, to get into all that, but it, if this, I will read it. If the soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor, into which he was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor. This provision of the restoration to one who was sinned against his neighbor, God commanded because they corrupted the fellowship. It's in the trespass offering later described in Leviticus 6 that cleansed them, just as the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us. Remember, as they met together, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed them from all sin. Our fellowship's important to the mission of God. Now, I'm not saying all of this necessarily for the sake of the baby Christian. The last mention in the Old Testament, Psalms 94.20, Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? A clear statement ensues 
by the virtue of the Lord to come to our defense, to be the rock of our refuge. It mentions both the fellowship of the Old Testament. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the mentions of both word, the, the word fellowship in the Old Testament are dealing with conflict. So there needs to be protection that comes through correction. And the only commandment given to Adam and Eve was not to eat of the fruit. Right? The evil communication, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, corrupts good manners. You're a fool if you think Satan's not interested in corrupting your fellowship with the Father. He wants to kill you. Biblical fellowship also aids us in a clear direction. We've already talked about direction. Fellowship with God and his people keeps us from corrupt, the corruption of idolatry, even in the New Testament. And so I've got to be done. Last thing here, the admonition to walk in the light is for our protection and our propagation. God is not a Debbie Downer. I just want you to know that right now. Death is painful. And that's why we preach the gospel. We got good news, not bad news. God's fixed that problem through the gospel. He shines light upon our human relationships. And it's no accident that as the days grow darker, the hearts of fathers will turn against the children and the children against the fathers. But it is Jesus at his second coming who will correct that. And that's why Malachi 4.6 says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So we can rejoice today because God has protected us from the wrath to come by smiting his son instead of us and drawing us into fellowship with him. And he has protected us from the wrath and draws us into his light and restores us so that we can magnify his glorious light and fellowship with one another so, not, so that we can not only add to the body, that we can mature through the, the relationship of discipleship and multiply. So in conclusion, I just want you to say, know this. The family of God functions for your protection. It is the context of your life, but the family of God functions for your protection. If you're not in fellowship with the Father this evening, then there's no need to stay there. God has done everything necessary to restore your fellowship and move you from darkness to light. Amen? Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word to meditate upon this principle of making disciples and, 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 and Lord, establishing them in the local church. Lord, and we pray, God, in a mighty way that, Lord, that the local New Testament church, for those of us who are saved, would be the context of our life where we worship you, Lord, where we, where we give back to you through offerings, where we give back to one another through love, where we learn to have right relationships that reflect your light to a lost and dying world. Lord, if we are his disciples, uh, Lord, people are going to know if we have love one for another that we are his disciples. Lord, I pray, God, in a mighty way that that would be accomplished in each and every local New Testament church represented here tonight. Lord, and I pray that the ministry of discipleship would multiply. Lord, I pray each and every member would add souls of the body through their fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be faithful stewards to disciple them and reproduce that all over our communities and the entire world. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just one more time want to offer, is there anybody, maybe tonight you're in here and you're lost, you need to be saved. Anybody say, Brian, that's me, I need to be saved. I don't know why you come to this meeting on a Tuesday night, but if that's you, we're serious about helping you know the Lord Jesus, anyone at all. Any saints tonight saying, man, Brian, I, I've got some relational funk, dysfunction. I need to get this thing straight. You can do that. Take the next right step. 
If you need to repair a relationship with somebody, confess a sin, uh, seek forgiveness, perhaps, no offense, do those things. And if there's anyone, just stand with me right now. As we're standing, if anybody says, Brian, that's me, just pray for me. Just raise your hand loud, or raise your hand loud. You can't raise it loud, but raise it up there. I can see it. I see one. Anyone else to say, Brian, I just need some prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. What a great conference it's been. Thank you for these points as we go along the way and we consider our relationship, Heavenly Father, in worship to you. As we kiss your ring, as we honor and adore you, you're our focus. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we uh, desperately make the Word of God the centerpiece of our fellowship with you and with the Son and with one another, Lord, we pray, God, for these relationships in the context of the local New Testament church that you would flourish them, that you would prosper them, that you would use the church body as a discipleship mechanism to grow people up through the structure of biblical discipleship. Lord, may we multiply the ministry, not just within the context of a local church, but within the context of the Great Commission to all nations. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name.